catching up on movie reviews on this episode of the Movies Past and Present podcast. Hello and welcome to the Movies Past and Present podcast. It's January 4th, 2024, and this is episode 118. I'm your host, Stanford Clark, and I'm podcasting from the crossroads of the West in beautiful Salt Lake City, Utah. Just on my website, moviespastandpresent.com, I'll be providing recommendations, commentary, and reviews about current and classic cinema. Thanks for tuning in, and let's do this thing. Happy New Year, everyone, and thanks so much for your continued support. New in theaters this week, opening on Friday, January 5th, is the horror movie Night Swim. This is from Universal Pictures. It's written and directed by Bryce McGuire, and it's based on his acclaimed 2014 short film. Uh, And who knew that there was such a thing? Uh, This full-length feature stars Wyatt Russell uh, as Ray Waller, a former Major League Baseball player forced into early retirement by a degenerative illness. Uh, He moves into a new home. With his concerned wife, who's played by Carrie Condon, uh, their teenage daughter Izzy, who's played by Emily Hofery. Hope I'm saying your name right, Emily. Uh, and young son Elliot, who's played by Gavin Warren. Secretly hoping against the odds to return to pro ball, Ray persuades his wife Eve that the new home's shimmering backyard swimming pool will be fun for the kids and provide physical therapy for him. But a dark secret in the home's past will unleash a a malevolent force that will drag the family under into the depths of inescapable terror. Uh, You know, nothing like starting off the new year with a a horror movie. So, uh, yeah, Night Swim. It's rated PG-13 by the Motion Picture Association for terror and some violent content and language. So, anyway... Uh, yeah, only, only one, only one new movie this week. And, um, thankfully there's lots of holiday leftovers that you you can see. And I will be talking about those next. So I'm catching up on some reviews. Please forgive the delay. Uh, Starting way back in uh, Thanksgiving of 2023, where uh, a couple of films opened up that I'd like to give reviews of, and then just some other films that have opened up over the last uh, few weeks that I've had a chance to see. So first up is Wish. Wish is the latest feature from Walt Disney Animation Studios. And... One interesting thing about Wish is that it it's the film that that uh, Disney was using, at least Disney Animation was using, to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the studio. Um, Walt Disney uh, and his brother Roy Disney formed their first uh, cartoon studio in in Los Angeles in 1923. 
And uh, it was known as the Disney Brothers Cartoon Studios. It changed to the Walt Disney Studios. And, of course, now we know it as the Walt Disney Company. But, uh, you know, the, the company, well, the Walt Disney Company was celebrating uh, 100 years. And, of course, I had a lot of fun with that in 2023. Uh, and this film was really made in a, as an homage to 100 years of, of Disney. So... It's an original fairy tale uh, directed by Chris Buck and Fawn uh, Virasuthorn, and I hope I'm saying your name right, Fawn. Uh, and it, ta- it tells the story of a young girl named Asha who wishes on a star and gets a more direct answer than she bargained for um, when a little mischievous star uh, comes down from the sky to join her. Uh, the voice of, of, of Asha is is uh, the wonderful actress Ariana DeBose. Chris Pine plays the villain in the movie named King Magnifico. Uh, Alan Tudjik is also back, who's been kind of a secret weapon uh, for uh, for Walt Disney Animation Studios over the last last few years. Uh, the, I've the Disney Animation team. I think really tried with this one. And sadly, I just didn't like it very much. Um, they were trying to make this, this uh, story, you know, about wishing on a star. What that, that's such a, a key element in so many Disney films. And, you know, they thought it would be interesting to go like back to the, what's the, what's the origin, you know, of this, of, of this wishing star. So actually, this this story is set in a time period, and not that there's a you know like a, a continuum. And, and and Disney films are you know set in fantasy settings and you know kind of all over the place. But this is in a way like Disney trying to create like their very first fairy tale. So I thought that that was an you know an interesting idea. And uh, the animation itself is just gorgeous. I, I think it it's very reminiscent of of their their classic features. Um, for example, Sleeping Beauty comes to mind, which is a film I admire very much, particularly for its animation art. Uh, Wish looked great. It, it's it, they they the animators employed. This, of course, using computers, but uh, it has this very hybrid style and a lovely color palette, and and it looked great. I just didn't think that the story or the songs um, matched up to 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 what they were trying to do. Also, given that this was, it's you know. Disney's homage to its hundredth anniversary in a, you know, in a real serious way. Um, they put in a lot of Easter eggs and little things that, you know, they thought would overall be fun for Disney fans. And I caught a few, I'm sure that there were many I didn't catch. Uh, either they're so, so subtle or so random or just so hidden, you know? Um, but the ones I did catch, some of them made me smile, other ones, I just thought they were trying too hard. In fact, it just seems like they were. There was so much focus on, on creating these um, 
kind of these Easter eggs or little mini homages to the films of the past that um, I just felt it was actually distracting from the story. Uh, one interesting thing about this, which at one point I thought was kind of cool, and then at another point I thought, no, not really. Um, uh, Asha, this main, you know, our, our, our heroine here, who, who's a, who's a uh, who's a teenager. She's got seven teenager friends, teenage friends, and they uh, all have names which begin with the same letter as the seven dwarfs. So the main, the main uh, kind of the ringleader of the seven teens, her name is Dahlia, of course, which is synonymous with Doc. Dahlia's clothes, clothing in the movie ha follows the same kind of color palette that Doc the dwarf did. And it just goes on and on, you know. Um, uh, there's a, a young woman named Hal who's like the version of Happy. Uh, Simon is the version of Sleepy. Anyway, it goes on and on. Um, they mostly, though, you, uh, they, they, I just felt it was ultimately kind of distracting and they weren't, didn't really help the story. And, uh, it was just like a way to, to force some, some, uh, some diversity into the film which just didn't feel like it was um, none of it just felt like it was natural and, and that it just worked, you know, everything just felt so forced in it to me. And as I mentioned, uh, I just didn't care for the music. Uh, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, the songwriter's name is Julia Michaels. I, I had not heard of her before. And, um, I just didn't care for the music. Uh, Ariana DeBose is a dream. I think she is so talented, has a lovely speaking voice. I thought her performance was excellent and her singing was fantastic. Um, sadly, I just, the whole time I was listening to this music, I, I kept thinking either it was very derivative of previous Disney, you know, Musicals, and, and again, I guess that's kind of the whole point of this movie, <laughs> in a way. But I kept thinking, wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been great if, again, they had worked with like Lin Manuel Miranda or Bobby Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez, um, and had some really just, you know, absolutely fantastic songs. I mean, or heaven forbid, Alan Menken, you know. So, um, sadly, w Wish was a miss for me. Um, I hope people have been enjoying it. I don't think that it's, it's, it hasn't been much of a, a huge hit, although it's still playing in theaters. At least I noticed that when I was at the movies uh, over the weekend. So, one thing that I thought was interesting, too, is I, I believe one of the reasons why it, I mean, it hasn't gotten great reviews. Not that that necessarily holds people back from going to the movies, but uh, I also think just some people we've just been conditioned to to uh, know that Disney's going to put their you know their films out on the Disney Plus streaming service. Um, this film opened up over Thanksgiving weekend, and here we are, first week of January, and and it's still in theaters, and they're not, and they haven't announced yet 
they, meaning Disney, haven't hasn't announced yet when it's going on Disney Plus. So I guess you know it'll get there eventually. But I guess kudos to them for not just immediately having a knee jerk reaction and putting it out on the service. And again, it's so lovely to look at. I did really enjoy seeing it on the big screen. I just didn't enjoy. I just didn't enjoy the movie. Uh, next up is another film that opened up in November. It's called Next Goal Wins. And this is a sports movie. Um, it's directed by Taika Waititi. And it's based on this true story. And, you know, I'm not much of a soccer person. So I just, I wasn't aware of this. But um, in 2001, the, the team from American Samoa that was competing in a, in a FIFA match that's the you know the big soccer associate international soccer association they uh lost their match 31 to 0 I believe that they were they were playing australia um so one of the worst if not the worst losses ever and and uh this is a you know just a really horrible team but the uh the soccer association really wanted to give them another shot. And they sent a very uh, troubled coach over to, to uh, American Samoa to help get this team in place and also in a way to kind of help rehabilitate this coach. So um, the coach is played by Michael Fassbender. And then they've got a very appealing uh cast of of uh you know polynesians native polynesians that 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 are uh playing you know members of the team and members of the community there in american samoa and um and taika waititi also is in it too he 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 plays he plays a role this was a film that i was really excited about and i really wanted to like but I just, it ultimately wasn't very good, you know, in my opinion. Uh, for for me, and again, I think this is part of the, part of the story, but the, the lead coach that Michael Fassbender plays, he's so unlikable in a way, and, and he's dealing with some real personal tragedy stuff, which I, you know, I'll keep it spoiler free, but... He um, he's incredibly unlikable, and that just really uh, and I and I don't know if that was Michael Fassbender, or if it was just the way this role was written, too. So that made it just you know not that great to watch. And then uh, the there's a there's a component of this of this story, which is you know true based on a true story, but there's a trans. Uh, player on the team and uh, a big chunk of this film is spent kind of the, you know, the Michael Fassbender character and this trans character working out uh, their professional relationship together. The team is very accepting of this player, uh, but you know, Michael Fassbender, you know, the coach isn't, isn't necessarily on board. And then there's just a lot of drama going on with that, which I didn't necessarily think was as uh, 
as interesting again overall to the to this team story about how this team is going to figure out really their goal is just to like make a goal rather than you know have that that uh you know devastating loss where they didn't even score a goal and the other team scored 31 so um again i was hoping for something just getting super witty and kind of kooky for the, uh given that Taika Waititi was the director you know he's the director of Jojo Rabbit uh he's directed a couple of Thor movies and uh particularly Thor Ragnarok which i thought was just just nuts and so and, and really fun but um this film was this film i thought was sadly uh, for me it was a real miss i didn't i I didn't, I didn't care for it. Uh, next up is uh, the film The Holdovers. And actually, also, I should say, Mexico Wins, I think, still is playing in theaters. I I think there's still limited screenings every day. So if you want to see it in the theater, there it is. Um, next up is The Holdovers, which is uh, a comedy drama. It's from Focus Features. And it's directed by uh, Alexander Payne. It stars Paul Giamatti. Um, it's it's set in the year 1970 at a at a kind of an elite boarding school uh, on the East Coast. Paul Giamatti plays uh, a history professor who. Is uh he's he's single and a bit of a loner. He li- you know he lives on. I think a lot of these, if not all of these teachers, live on campus during the school year. But there were uh, four students that this Christmas season, Christmas of nineteen seventy. Yeah, this is a fictional story, but uh, that they um, didn't have. They weren't going home for Christmas. They had. Uh, their families were gone or stuff was going, you know, stuff was going on and they, uh, were going to need to stay at the school over the holiday. So Paul Giamatti is the faculty member that gets assigned to stay with these four students. Um, also sticking around is, is the lunch lady. (laughs) So woman who works at the cafeteria saying that she just, she, uh, she had some, she's had some tragedy in her life and she's, she didn't want to, uh, she just wanted to stay, um, and work. And uh, so basically, it's about stuff happens, and again, I don't want to give it away, but the um, some of these other students they get an opportunity to leave and go skiing uh, for the holiday, but this one student uh, stays, and um, his name is Angus. He's played by Dominic Sessa, and I think this is Dominique's. Uh, First major role, and he's very good. Um, he's very he's very good in it. But uh, basically, he's the only student they, they can't get a hold of his parents, so he can't go on. He doesn't have permission to go on the skiing trip, uh, and so he has to stay. So it's basically Paul Giamatti's character, you know, Angus, and then the uh, I'm calling her the lunch lady, but she's the, she's the woman who works at the cafeteria, the school cafeteria. So it's these three, these three uh, people, and uh, they uh, spend Christmas together and have 
kind of these interesting uh, adventures that that uh, you know both at the school and and then some field trips are involved. And again, I'll keep it spoiler free, but it's it's actually this is a very good character study. Uh, these three people all are dealing with stuff, and I thought it was a a real. Uh, slice of life in a way type of type of film. Uh, I liked, I liked the setting. I liked the time period. I liked the time period. Uh, but really most of all, it's just these, these really is these, these great performances, but I gotta, I gotta hold it to, to the, the script too. What a nice job they did. Cause the, you know, some of these, the, these characters are dealing with some heavy, Heavy stuff. Well, and I guess kudos to Alexander Payne too for for directing this in such a way that that was uh, sensitive, but not doesn't necessarily hit you over the head with stuff. And and in a way, it's just like a peeling of the onion, where as the film goes on and you learn more about more and more about the truth, what's going on with each of these three people. And uh, I I I, th- I thought it was just an excellent excellent film. Um, and uh, I would, I would definitely, uh, definitely recommend it. So, Holdover is a really great, really great comedy drama. I ended up watching it. I don't. I think it might be in theaters, but but maybe even just like down to like one sh- show a day. It's on the Peacock streaming service. That's where I ended up watching it. Was was on was on Peacock. So. Um, Anyway, for for uh, for uh, what it's worth, but the whole office was very good. Okay, next up is Wonka. So Wonka, as uh, you know, is actually a prequel to, um, you know, the, the first we know it as Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's 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 Roald Dahl's book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. This is. Not based on a Roald Dahl book. Uh, it's based on just you know some of these characters from Charlie and the Chocolate Fat, Charlie and the Chocolate Chocolate Factory. Uh, but uh, you know, set set where we've got a very young Willy Wonka uh, who who is dreaming of opening up a chocolate shop. So uh, Willy Wonka is. Played by Timothy Chalamet, and then uh, you know it's got it's got some other interesting uh, characters uh, in it. Notably, Olivia Coleman, who plays uh, the villain in the movie, Mrs. Scrubbit, who does seem like she's right out of a kind of a combination of a Roald Dahl book or even a Charles Dickens <laughs> Charles Dickens book. Um, this movie was directed by Paul King. Paul King is uh, he directed those Paddington movies that uh, came out. Paddington came out ten years ago, twenty fourteen. Paddington two was was in twenty seventeen, and those films had I thought a very kind of charm. You know had a had a charm and a unique style about them. And this film very much falls into that same, uh, same realm. Uh, the, uh, uh, I think the thing I liked the most about Wonka is just, it was family friendly. 
It was so nice just to have like a family-friendly movie. It kept pretty a pretty consistent tone. It didn't get too uh, maudlin or too weird. Uh, you know, the, Hugh Grant plays the Oompa Loompa in the movie. <laughs> you know, the Oompa Loompas that we all know from, from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, I guess cop two or three kind of gripes about it. Um, it, uh, the music, I didn't think the music was good. It, the only time the music really shines is, and it's a musical, it's a musical, you know, so they're singing and dancing in it, but they, uh, the, there's kind of an ongoing refrain of that wonderful, um, imagination song that's from the, uh, you know, the original Willie Wonka and the Chocolate Factory with Gene, Gene Wilder. And so that was like the best time, you know, the best part of the music of this of Wonka was this, you know, using move music from from the original movie. Uh, also, they you play the Oompa Loompa theme too, so that's you know that's kind of fun. Um, but otherwise, the the music is not that that, that great. Uh, the the thing about this too is that it's just completely unnecessary. Um, you know, again, just this 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 crafted backstory that um, really does nothing for, for for anything other than just it's just a fun it's just a fun time with the movies, and that I and I'm just so happy that it's family friendly, and I think families are are going and enjoying it. I think it's been doing quite well, and I said it's not terrible by any means. Uh, but I just, it's one of those things that just, to me, just felt completely unnecessary. But um, at least it's, you know, quality made, family friendly. And and um, there there you have that. Uh, next up is Godzilla Minus One. And this is, you know, the latest in uh, <laughs> the history of Godzilla movies. This uh, at one was actually made in Japan. Uh, some of these more recent Godzilla movies, including Godzilla, uh, like Godzilla versus Kong, uh, those those have been made in America. Uh, this one is is really, in a way, just uh, a classic Godzilla. It's like a classic Godzilla movie. But not, it's not a dude in a plastic suit. You know, it's, we've got a CGI monster and uh, really excellent special effects. But I think the probably, the, the, the two things that I loved most about this film was that there's a really great ensemble cast uh, that you're really rooting for. You know, in a way, it felt like, the original Jaws film, you know, where you've got Richard Dreyfuss and Peter Schneider, they're they're there, uh, you know, you're rooting for you're you're rooting for this team to take out this monster, and and then uh, just incredibly solid, uh, as I mentioned, special effects. The Godzilla monster is is fantastic. Uh, I just think we can just huge huge shout out to the director Takahashi Yamatsu. Uh, Yamazaki, and again, I'm hoping I'm saying that correctly. Uh, 
but uh, he has just delivered a really outstanding uh, action monster movie that I just felt hit all the right notes with, you know, action and drama and suspense. And um, again, it doesn't get too it doesn't get too maudlin. There's some happy stuff that that that, that happens in it. Um, I also like the setting. This was set in in post World War II Japan, and so that was you know interesting too. In a way, like the uh, the original one, uh, but it's 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 absolutely terrific, and I really one of my favorite movies of the, of the year, uh, uh, Godzilla minus one. So that's one. See it on the biggest screen possible. I wish, sadly, wish I had seen it when it had its you know week or two week run in IMAX. Uh, I miss that, but I was so happy to be able to see it in, in theater. So, and it's still there. And and uh, when I saw it, I believe it was, was uh, last a week ago Tuesday. But it um, the theater was full, so that was fun. You know, just the, the, a lot of people going and a lot of people enjoying it. So definitely recommend Godzilla minus one. Okay, uh, next up is Ferrari, and this is a film that I also had really been looking forward to. This is a biopic about uh, Enzo Ferrari, the uh, founder of of uh, you know the Italian race car uh, you know powerhouse Ferrari. Uh, this film takes place in 1957. Uh, it's directed by Michael Mann. And Michael Mann, who's I think one of the finest directors still living and working today, uh, he has crafted a really just a very interesting film. I don't think this film is going to be for everybody. Uh, I I love cars and I love ra- car racing, so that part of it just was I I, I just admired so much just the the technical excellence of of how this film was was crafted. Uh, the performances are also, I think, very good. Adam Driver plays Enzo Ferrari, and uh, his Enzo uh, was married and uh, to a woman named Laura, Laura Ferrari. You know, uh, in the movie, she's played by Penelope Cruz. Uh, Enzo also, though, uh, is having an affair. And uh, with a woman named Lena Lardy, and who's played in the film by Shalene uh, Woodley. Uh, so, uh, the thing that's interesting about this, I mean, I learned a lot about Enzo Ferrari, and, uh, you know, I think he was a complicated man. Uh, I can't say I really admire a lot of his choices, but the guy knew how to make a car and he knew how to win. Uh, this his car business though was co like Laura Ferrari his wife was his business partner too so that was um, a, you know the I think a real challenge challenge for them and they had some hardship too which you know you'll you'll learn about in the movie if you don't already know about it. Um, which I think also kind of led Enzo to have this affair, but um, so the the drama scenes are very well acted, and they're of course very integral to the story. But 
they're all just filmed in like in dark in dark rooms, and uh, I, th- you know, I think actually it was a good artistic choice in a way that that you know, you just it focuses you on the on the dialogue and these ex- excellent acting performances, but where the movie really shines is when they are out on the racetrack, uh, and I don't know how much of it was done digitally or. Uh, or what, but uh, it's magnificent. The, the 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 racing scenes are uh, everything is fantastic. You know the editing and the sound design and and where do they get these cars? <laughs> uh, I, that's that's one of the things I loved it again. Maybe they're digital, but it all looked so so cool. Uh, so for me, Ferrari was actually really quite a treat. But I could see how it just might not be. Uh, everyone's cup of tea, uh, given the heavy subject matter intertwined with with a lot of automobile stuff, which again just might not might not be of interest. That's still playing in theaters. Uh, I don't think you know it's gonna be around for long. But but uh, it, if you do want to see it, I, I would recommend seeing it on the big on the big screen. Okay, finally, in our giant list of movies I'm trying to catch up on is The Boys in the Boat. So this movie, directed by George Clooney, is based on a true story. And it's a, it's a remarkable story of, of uh, this group of, of, of young men from the University of Washington who end up being the U.S. Olympic team. Uh, and they go to the 1936 Berlin Olympics uh, and 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 race there. You know they 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 row right. They are they're in these uh, eight person rowboats. And this this film again, as I said, is based is based on this true story. But you know I didn't know this story until uh, I had read the book. And it's um, the boys in the boat, nine Americans and their epic quest for gold at the 1936 Berlin Olympics that was written by uh, Daniel James Brown and published in 2013. Uh, that's when I had heard about it. It seemed like every every friend I had that was in a book club <laughs> ever was reading this book, uh, you know, then. And I read it too, and and, and thought it, it was terrific, and what a great way to you know inform our generation about this this remarkable story. George Clooney has crafted just a really terrific movie. It's 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 of course you know a sports movie about this about this rowing team, uh, and there are so many things that I think that just could have gone wrong, but they didn't in this film. Uh, we. We get to know some of these rowers, but not all of them. But I mean, we're we're aware of the team. But he smartly highlights uh, one particular player in this film named Joe Rance. Um, he's played by the actor Colm Turner, uh, and so that's he's kind of like the main character of but even though these you know we've got all these other all these other guys uh, on the team uh Joel Edgerton plays the coach it's coach Al uh, Uberson and he's terrific uh 
Joel Edgerton gives an ex, uh, you know an outstanding performance as this coach. Who the, the thing that I was reminded of uh, in the movie is that this rowing team. They were actually the JV team at the University of Washington. They weren't even the varsity team. Uh, but they were all so talented and so hungry that that um, they were able just to do this just, you know, amazing, uh, amazing stuff. There's uh, also sometimes with sports movies, for me, there can either be like too many obstacles, which I know that's part of it, and they've got to have the conflict. Sometimes just like, oh, please, no more obstacles. Just let these people, you know, get to the competition. Uh, this had plenty of obstacles, but they all worked. And again, I think that they were factual, too, of stuff that was actually, you know, of course, going on since this is based on a true story. But uh, just expert storytelling by by uh, these writers. I believe that the writer of the book, Daniel James Brown, was involved, and then Mark L. Smith. It's another, um, I think the credit is screenwriter on it, but um, uh, outstanding, an outstanding script and just fantastic direction by George Clooney. I, I thought this film to me, and I mean this as a compliment, it felt very old fashioned to me. And, and uh, like almost like it was made in that time period. It uses a beautiful, uh, like a kind of a sepia tone. And that was, it's just, it's just a pleasure to look at. The cinematography is, is excellent. And it just, uh, fills you with happiness. Uh, it, it, it's just in a way, just unabashedly optimistic. And you just, it's just kind of felt like this is the movie that we need <laughs> today. Uh, with so much sadness and heartache and confusion and contention going on, you know, across the country, um, a film like this, I just felt is is uniting and wonderful. Again, the screening I went to, it was practically full, and that made me so happy. Just knowing that I think people were seeing this movie, people clapped at the end of it. I think they really, really uh, enjoyed it. Another uh, MVP in this film is Alexander Desplat. And again, I'm sorry if I'm saying his name incorrectly, but he uh, is just, the soundtrack is, is perfection. And, and, and this, is, this is just, this is a, a really fantastic, fantastic film. Well, that does it for this episode of the Movies Past and Present podcast. Links and more information about the movies discussed in today's podcast can be found in the podcast notes on my blog at moviespastandpresent.com. Subscribe to the podcast where you listen to podcasts and follow me on Instagram. I'm at moviespap. As always, I hope you will enjoy some good movies this week, whether they be from the past or the present. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, dedicate yourself to the truth and happy new year. Happy new year.